Thank you, Lee. If you have a Bible, grab it and make your way to Ephesians chapter 6, what she just read from, and graduates, uh, congratulations again. And I think this morning's really pertinent for uh, just what's going on in your life where the Lord has us this morning in Ephesians 6. I think uh, it's really, God has something for you in this. Um, Hopefully that's the truth every single week, Um, but uh, this morning in particular, hopefully that is uh, the truth while we're getting started, I want to ask you just some simple questions, and I want you to just kind of follow my, just follow the logic of the questions for a second. And so the first one is this, according to the Bible, and this is audience participation, okay? According to the Bible, uh, was and is Jesus perfect? Yes, right? And did Jesus glorify God to the maximum extent in every moment of his life? Yes. What did Jesus, like for the bulk of his life, what, what was Jesus doing? Yeah, a muddled question. He was working. He spent the bulk of his life working, and every second of his life was glorifying to God. I, th- I think a lot of times we, we forget that Jesus, for 30 years, was a carpenter. For 30 years, I mean, he carried a, a lunch pail, he swung a hammer for a living, and he glorified God in that. His glorifying of the Father did not, like, start when, you know, his, his public ministry started. No, he had been glorifying God his entire life with the bulk of that working. His eight to five. I think this is so important for us to remember because a lot of times, to our own detriment, we often will try to separate Christianity over here and, and, and like divide our life up. And so we have our little Christian slice over here, and then way over here we have work or, or school. And it's something completely different, something completely other, removed from our Christian life. And so we have this false idea that comes with that then, that we need to... Or, or, or we can turn off our Christianity when we go into the marketplace. Or at least, at least we need to dial it back a little bit. Or, or when we go to, to school, because the rules are just different. The, the rules of business and the rules of commerce and the rules of, of school or whatever, they're, they're just different. But for followers of Christ, the applications of Scripture are applicable at all times especially as we go into the marketplace, because it is there as you go to work, whether that's paid or unpaid, outside the home or in the home, you, that, that is where you are going to be around others who do not know Jesus. But even more than that, in the doing, uh, in the carrying out of your work, your vocation, the act of doing that brings glory to God. He created it. Work is his idea, and work is a good thing. You think about, I mean, you remember Genesis 1 and 2. In the first service, we we read out of Genesis 1 because we didn't have a, we didn't do the graduation recognition, which is why I like slighted Chad so awkwardly because I I was ready to say, hey, let's listen to the word of God. And I was, oh yeah, we're listening to Chad. But no, it's graduate recognition. So sorry about that, Chad. But Genesis 1 and 2, I mean, it talks about like before sin ever entered the world, God created work. 
Right? He, he created husband and wife and uh, told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it and to develop society, develop culture for the flourishing of humankind to the glory of God. Theologians call this the cultural mandate. This was given pre-fall. Work is a good thing. And in working, like they didn't separate that out. Like, well, there's this work thing. No, no, it was part of worshiping God. It's everything we do in life is an act of worship. It's just a question of what are we worshiping in that act. So it wasn't differentiated as something other. But where we live, we live on this side of sin entering the world. So sin has come into the world now. Sin has marred God's good creation. And so now work is hard. There's thorns and thistles. We, we develop work by the sweat of our, our brow. And often the way we now view work is broken, is altered. And so as David Platt kind of ex- explains, this work that was designed to be fulfilling... Now, a lot of times, it's frustrating. And work that was designed to be purposeful now oftentimes feels pointless. And work that was designed to be selfless has often become selfish. And so as a result of this new reality, what we find ourselves doing as humans is often we either overvalue work and we turn it into an idol, or we undervalue work and we live, live it out with indifferent laziness. That's mankind's kind of two ways that we uh, approach work. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to develop the, the, that thought a little bit, those two ways. And then we're going to come to Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at God's approach to work. And then how do we live that out? And just kind of keep you in the context of what's going on. All of this is still going back to chapter 5, verse 18. Where Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit. And one of the specific ways we do that is by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's verse 21. And then he goes into, like immediately after that, how that rolls out in some specific spheres. Spirit-filled marriage. Spirit-filled parenting, home life. And then work it is exactly Genesis 1. Marriage, family, work. It's the cultural mandate, redeeming that. And the only way we can live it out now, this set of the fall, is as we are filled with the spirits. And so graduates, again, I hope you listen. I think this will be super helpful to you today. So number one in your notes. I've already stated it, but I will again. Man's approach to work is often either idolatry or indifferent laziness, all right? This is how mankind often approaches work, either as idolatry or indifferent laziness. And so we're going to do idolatry first, but I want to also nuance this from the get-go. Make sure, it is not idolatrous to work hard and even work a lot. It's also not idolatrous to enjoy your work, find pleasure in it. God created work as good. It is what we are to do. And so it's not surprising that we should be able to find some level of enjoyment in our work, in the vocation that we have, some measure of pleasure in it. So that is not idolatrous in and of itself. But where it becomes an idol is when those 
desires begin to make your work the source of your ultimate satisfaction and meaning. When you begin to define who you are based off of what you do, not as just like a describer, right? I'm a student, I'm a teacher, I'm a truck driver, I'm a uh, businessman, like as a describer, but when your whole identity is wrapped up in that thing, I'm an athlete, I'm an academic, I'm a, what, your whole identity is wrapped up in that thing. Because what happens then, even to our own, like, obviously we are dishonoring God because we're violating the first commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, but we're also harming ourselves. Because what happens to you when you're so wrapped up in this one thing, it is completely who you are, completely how you define your life, and then that thing is removed from you. I've seen this play out so many times. You, you don't even know who you are anymore. And you're like filled with anxiety and, and depression and fear because like who you, you've always defined yourself by what you do. Now you can't do that thing anymore. So who am I? I've seen this in my own life. And over the last year, I've seen this in the life of someone I love very, very dearly. And I'm, I'm not talking about Sarah or one of my kids. I've seen it in some of y'all's lives through the years. And so let's just be honest and, and, and ask ourselves, like be introspective here. Is, is this what I do? Have I so defined my life and found my identity in what I do? That if it was taken, like, so if you're a homeschooling mom or you're a working mom or you're a policeman or you're a businessman or a business owner or a construction worker or architect or, or, or military personnel, and suddenly you can't do that anymore, you, you get hurt, you lose your job, you retire out, you, and so you've done this for a long time, now you can't do it anymore, and thus, you, you're now going to be viewed differently than you were prior to that when you were doing these things. Are you grieved in that moment for the simple fact that you can't worship God in a way that you enjoyed? Or are you gutted because now people look at you not in the same way they did previously? You're not viewed as this one thing in everyone else's eyes. Friends, bottom line here is if your work has become your primary means of satisfaction and identity, and you've got to be brutally honest with yourself here because we can justify anything in our own minds. If it has become your primary means of identity and satisfaction, success, the notoriety, the praise of man, the money, the reputation, then it has become an idol in your life. And the call from Scripture would be to repent and turn away from that. Thou shalt have no other gods before the Lord. And so idolatry, again, is dishonoring to God, but it's also damaging to us because only God can satisfy our hearts. 
no matter what other or what blend of God replacements you try to pour into your life to fill that void in your life, they will fail. Ecclesiastes talks about how that is to point us to Christ. But this is, that's one way that mankind approaches work. We, we approach it from a perspective of idolatry sometimes. We idolize it. We overvalue it. But then flipping to the other side of the spectrum, the other way mankind sometimes approaches work is with indifferent laziness. Indifferent laziness, just not caring. Like you have a job, but you don't care if you do a good job or a bad job. You just want to do just enough to be mediocre and not get fired just enough to get by, but I don't really want to go to the the next level because that would take sacrifice and that would take hard work and I just don't want to do that. I'm lazy. That does not honor God either. I mean, just straight up, brass tacks, bottom line, laziness is a sin. Slothfulness is a sin. And likewise, we... If that's where you find yourselves, repent and turn away from that. And so just as much as we would call out a workaholic, laziness is equally dishonoring to God. And we need to call them out equally. And so these are two ways that man often approaches work. We either overvalue work or we undervalue work. But God's approach... Okay, the way God would define work has nothing to do with how you value the work. But it has everything to do with how you value the one you work for. Because ultimately, you are working for the Lord Jesus, which renders your work worship. And so number two in your notes then, even as we talked about at the start, God's approach to work approach to work is worship. God's approach to work is worship. All right? Working hard as unto the Lord brings him glory. It is a fulfillment of the creation mandate. He created us to work. It is right and a good thing for us to work. And when done as an act of worship, it brings him glory. That's easy to say. It may be easy for you to kind of get that. But how do you live that out? That's the harder question. How do you live that out? And so we're rolling into number three already. That's how fast we did number two. Now we're in number three. How do you do that? How do you practically live this out? Let's look at Ephesians chapter six again. Starting in verse five. Read it with me if you would. Bond servants, all right? Now, just real quick, last week we camped out on that word because in the Greek, doulos, it means slaves. So last week we talked about how Paul undermines all slavery throughout, his, uh, throughout the, the letters that he wrote. But we also talked about the difference between chattel slavery, American slavery, a particularly heinous thing, and what was going on in the Roman Empire, which was a little more complex. But today we're going to be applying this particularly to work with bosses and employees, okay? Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Notice how many times he's going to reference Christ in this. Not by way of eye servants as people pleasers, but as bond servants of 
Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And so there's lots of specific imperatives in there, but there's all repeated Christ, 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 Christ. You're doing this for Christ. I mean, verse 7, point blank, rendering service with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. This is why your work is worship. You are serving Christ. And so the first step to living this out all right, and maybe recalibrating your own approach to work to come in line with God's approach to work. The first step is recognizing, realizing, and remembering, letter A, that Jesus is your ultimate boss. Yeah, you got a boss on the job, but you've got a higher boss with a capital B. Jesus is your ultimate boss, and you are working for Him. And when you get that, then no matter what you do and no matter who you work for on earth, when you get that your ultimate boss, whom you are ultimately serving, is the Lord Jesus, it will change everything about how you view your work, how you do your work, and the motivation for your work. And it will also crush the draw towards idolatry and the draw towards laziness as well as the lie of purposelessness that we sometimes find in our work. I'm going to look at verse 5 again. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service. Now, eye service here has the idea of like when your boss is looking, when they are around, then you're all over it. But when the boss isn't, then it's an episode of The Office. So you got Michael doing whatever Michael's doing, right? Jim's putting Dwight's stapler in jello. And Dwight, God only knows what Dwight's doing, right? But seriously, when your boss is not around, is that your office? Is that you? Well, let me ask you this. If your boss, like down the hall, in the office, name on the door or next to it, if, if that said Jesus, would that change the way you work? Because the truth is, Jesus is your boss. You are serving Him. And the way you work then corresponds with the heart that you have for him because you are serving him, not man. Rendering service as to the Lord and not to man. And so no more then, when we understand Jesus is our boss, do we have an excuse to convince ourselves that what we're doing doesn't matter. So we can just goof off and waste time and do lousy work, just do as little as we can and get away with. We can't live like that anymore because Jesus is our boss now. 
You serve Him. And so every time a Christian makes a delivery, turns in a project, hands in an expense report, makes a decision at a board meeting, changes a diaper, pushes to get a sale, close a deal, cares for an aging parent, takes care of a patient, mops the floor, grades an exam, every time he or she is making a statement about who Jesus is. Jesus is worth serving with all my heart or Jesus isn't. And so what kind of statement does your work ethic make? Athenagoras was an amazing Christian in the second century. And he wrote to the emperor of the Roman Empire at the time, Marcus Aurelius, trying to uh, get Marcus Aurelius to, to pull back on some of the persecution and have a greater tolerance for Christians in the empire. And so he wrote him a letter and argued a lot of things, but the biggest thing he camped out on was being a good citizen. And so he asked the emperor, he said, Emperor, you, you, you want your citizens to, to be good citizens, right? And what does a good citizen do? Well, a good citizen, you know, doesn't lie and doesn't cheat and doesn't, doesn't, doesn't murder. A good citizen obeys. Emperor, Christians aren't even to get angry, like, let alone murder. And so you should absolutely want, like Christians, would, we, make, we make the best citizens. And so you shouldn't be pushing us down. You should be holding us up as examples to the rest of the citizens. We make the best citizens. Similarly, Christians in the marketplace should be the best employees. We should be the greatest employees such that an employer doesn't have to worry about hard work, doesn't have to worry about things being done right, being done with great effort, being done with great care, and being done with great integrity. And when you get that Jesus is your boss and you're ultimately working for him, it will crush your draw towards laziness. But it's also going to crush the draw of idolatry and beginning to overvalue work. Because look at verse 5 again. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. This is one of the biggest forms of idolatry today. People pleasing. Seeking to be viewed by people in a certain light. Whether it's your boss, whether it's co-workers, whether it's friends, whether it's neighbors, people at school. You want to be viewed in a certain light. So you people please. And listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to work hard for a good boss and do a good job. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be recognized fairly. There's nothing wrong with being rewarded accordingly. That's fine. That's That's fine. That's a good thing. The point, though, I'm making is, is when being recognized and known becomes your driving ambition, like that's what you're after. Notoriety, that you fear and revere people more than you fear and revere the Lord God. You want to make a name for yourself. You want to be the man instead of showing people that you know the man. But when you recognize that Jesus is your boss and ultimately you serve Him, 
and sets you free from basing your success on the constantly shifting sands of people's opinions, as well as the seasickness caused by the ups and downs of your job, highs when it's going well, and depression when it's not. And I'm not saying circumstances at work don't affect us, but I am saying they don't define a Christian. See, our jobs, as one of the books I referenced uh, by Traeger and Gilbert, our jobs can never give us what we truly want. Only Jesus can. By his life and death and resurrection, he has already achieved for us. You've got to keep this in mind. He's already achieved for us the highest joy, the highest meaning, the highest significance, and the highest prize. And when we believe our jobs can provide this for us, we forget the gospel and we believe a lie. But when you trust Jesus and remember Jesus is your boss, you're set free from being defined by your job because you've been defined by Christ and you've anchored your soul to an immovable object. Knowing that you work for Jesus sets you free. And it gives purpose and meaning to everything that you do. Regardless of what you do. Because who you work for is way more important than what you do. And so for those of you who think your job is meaningless, whether it's paid or unpaid, for those of you who think, what's it going to matter in the grand scheme of things? For those of you who are never applauded, never thanked, looked down upon by a lot of people in culture, listen to me, you are serving the Lord Christ, not people. And because you're serving Jesus, the supreme reality of the universe, this means that no matter what you do, it has dignity and meaning and significance because God put you there for His purposes. And so letter A, how we live out work as worship, we remember that Jesus is our ultimate boss. Right? Letter B, and, and related, also remember that Jesus wrote your ultimate job description. Jesus wrote your ultimate job description. And when you get a job, find a job, or are interviewing for a job, or you see one posted, application or whatever, it's going to say, hey, here's the job description, here's what, what's expected of you. Right? When you go to work for Jesus... He has a job description as well. When you become a Christian, he has a job description as well. And his job description supersedes any man-given job description that's ever handed to you. Jesus' job description that he calls us to is in Matthew 22. You know this. If you've got a background in church, you've heard of something called the Great Commandment. And that's what it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, that is your job description. You are to love God, and you are to love others, and that supersedes everything. 
So no longer is work just about the bottom line. No longer is it just about getting through the day. No longer are people a means to gain, a means to upward mobility. No, no, no. When you work for Jesus, then no matter what you do, you are there to love Him and love others. You are to live and work differently than people who are not followers of Jesus. It's not that money's unimportant. It's not that climbing the ladder is bad. It's just that ultimately God puts you in your job to love Him and others and to learn to love Him and others more through the circumstances of that vocation. That's your main goal. That is your main job description. Handed down from a boss with a capital B. And so just practically living this out here in chapter 6, verse 5, when it speaks of obeying your boss with fear and trembling, that employees, this is how you are to view, like, the idea is to treat your boss with respect. And notice it doesn't say anything in there about, like, if they're deserving of the respect, if they're worthy of it. And it's just, you treat them with respect. Sometimes you're going to have a boss who's a fool, Sometimes you're going to have a boss who's just horrible. But we're still called to salute the uniform, right? Like in the military, you salute the uniform. You still regard your boss with respect. And in the meantime, as you do that, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, a difficult boss, you stay patient, you stay obedient, and you work hard remembering ultimately you're not serving him, you're serving the Lord. And pray for your boss. And I'm not talking like the imprecatory psalms, dear God, strike him down with a disease. <laughs> but uh, pray for him. I mean, the, the Bible says, Paul writes in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people... For kings, politicians, we pray for them. We should pray for them. You should pray for our elected officials. And all who are in high positions, our bosses. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so employees, obey your boss. Respect your boss. Work hard for your boss, knowing ultimately that Jesus is your boss, and you obey, and you respect, and you work hard for him. Okay? But what about employers? It's the same thing for you. Those of you who manage someone, supervise some people, whatever, it's the same thing for you. Look at verse 9. Masters, right? Bosses, employers, managers, supervisors. Do the same to them and stop your threatening. So it's basically, hey, you want respect? You want integrity? You want hard work? You do that. Treat those under your supervision with respect and integrity. Don't threaten them. Treat them like you would Christ. Look at the rest of verse 9. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours, 
is in heaven, and there is no partiality with them, with him. And so here's the deal. Every boss who is a Christian also has a boss. And his name is Jesus. And he's an authority over you. And you need to treat those under your authority as he treats you under his authority. And so this means you will be concerned about those people you manage or supervise as a person more than just as a profit producer. Now, they need, to, they need to do that, right? But you're not only concerned with that. You're also concerned about their illnesses, their spouses, their children, their education, right? You're not Ron Swanson, who doesn't want to have any... Am I the only sinner in here who watches Parks and Rec? Okay. You're not Ron Swanson, who doesn't want anything to do with knowing anybody's business. You'll be concerned about these things. You'll be concerned about their salary. You'll be concerned that they're paid well. And yeah, this is going to make it more complicated and more involved, but you're not serving the company alone. Ultimately, you're serving the Lord Jesus, and you have a job description that supersedes everything else. And so sometimes, as a Christian employer or supervisor, you don't make the decision that is the least inexpensive for the company. You make the decision that is the most loving towards those under your supervision. And I think right now, like, you're going to have an opportunity to do that, like in the midst of this COVID-19, you know, stuff. That, like, if, if, if kids don't go to school in the fall, two, impl- two income homes... That's going to be really, really hard. And so those of us who are employers or supervisors or managers, we're going to need to act with love and understanding and help. Because this is, a, this is a weird thing. This is hard. We're going to need to be flexible. We're going to need to be patient. We're going to need to be loving. We're going to have to be Christ-like. Seeing that these people aren't just a cog in the wheel. They have a soul. And so, folks, realize Jesus is your boss and realize Jesus wrote your ultimate job description that supersedes any human job description. Letter C. Remember also that Jesus does your performance review. Jesus does your performance review. And in one sense, you have a perfect performance review already. Because if you are in Christ, Christ's love for you isn't based upon what you do. It's based upon what Christ did. He took your place. He, he, you, he, you gave him, he took your sins and he gave you his righteousness. And so God's love for us isn't based upon what we do. It's based upon what Christ did. And so in that sense, we already have a perfect performance review. And yet we still have to live our lives. And we still will give an account for our lives. And if the bulk of the hours of your life are spent working, then there's going to be a lot that we have to give an account for as it relates to our work. But God's performance review is vastly different than the world's. 
Because success in God's eyes is not defined by dollars and cents. It's not defined by promotions and positions. It's defined by faithfulness. Faithfulness. Giving your all to whatever He's put before you. And living in light of your ultimate job description. Giving your all. And so like back, back in the day when I, was a, when I was a runner, and you had a race, all right? We, we run the ACC championships or, or something. And you ran a race, and man, you, you, you laid it all on the line. I mean, every ounce of what you had, you put it out there, and you, to the, I mean, you, everything you had. When you did that, even if you didn't achieve your, your, your goal, like you wanted to win or, or, or be all ACC or whatever, even if you didn't achieve, achieve your goal in the race, if you gave it all you had, it's a great feeling. There was nothing more you can do, right? Now, there's a lot of things you can't control, but what we can control is our effort. But when you... When you when you were in a race, and after it's over and you're looking back on it, and you realize, yeah, I kind of just punked out a little bit. It started hurting, and I didn't get tough. I didn't, I didn't just get tougher. I kind of punked out a little bit. There is not a worse feeling in the world. Here's the point. Standing clean before God and knowing you gave it your all, like it's the, it's the same way. Regardless of what the world may think, if you served God faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully, because we're never going to be perfect, that's success. And let it be freeing to you. Because in the eyes of God, again, success isn't measured on like getting the win. It's measured on did you do your best? Did you do it God's way? Were you faithful to Him? Which means every single one of us can have success that has nothing to do with what our job may be. Some people, their job may be based upon the capabilities that God gave an individual, their maximum level is different than someone else because he gave them different capabilities, different intellect, different abilities. But the effort that they can put forth, the faithfulness by which they can live before the Lord is and can be the same. And that's how God grades our performance review. Were you faithful? And so when you go to work, whether that's in the home or outside the home. So it's not when you go to work, if it's in the home, it's 24-7. And there is no thanks. And there is no, like, that is the truth. When you do this, when you go to work, remember, Jesus is your boss. Jesus wrote your job description. Jesus does your performance review. And one more quick one, know this. Know that Jesus is for you. Know that Jesus is for you. Like no matter where you're at, what's going on, employed, unemployed, great boss, horrible boss, love your job, hate your job, have sinfully been an idolater, have sinfully been indifferent 
and lazy, like Jesus is still for you, and he's still working for your glory and your good, and the cross still stands as a testimony to it. And so, like, whatever it is that you're going through right now at work, or even outside of work, let go of the lie that God is against you. Because it's simply not true. And so you, don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. I am so undeserving. I've, I've been an idolater. I've been indifferent and lazy. I've been uncaring. I have treated people like wheels in a cog. I have threatened. I'm so undeserving. Here's the main point of the Bible, friends. God delights in showing mercy to those who are undeserving. That is the main point of the Bible. He delights in showing mercy to those who are undeserving. This is the whole point of the cross, and it's the one that accomplished this good news on the cross that we serve in our vocation. He's your boss. He wrote your job description. He'll do your performance review. And he's for you. Always. And so verse 7 again. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. And not to man. That's how you worship God. Through your work. Let's pray. Father, help us to keep these truths in mind, that you are our boss, and that you have given us a job description to, over, to supersede whatever it may be. When we're answering the phone, that person is there for us to remember that we are to love you, Lord, and we are to love them. And Father, even as they grate on us and are rude and are... We don't fight fire with fire, that just creates more fire. We turn another cheek. We gladly lay down our liberties for others. We seek to love and to help others. And we seek to remember, for those of us who might be an employer, that we are to treat those under our care like you, Jesus, treat us under your care. And so, Father, I just pray for the man or woman in here who has turned, who's given in to the draw of indifferent laziness, that you would wake them up from that, and they would turn from that, and they would serve you. Not base their effort based upon, you know, who who may be their earthly boss, but they would serve you with all of their heart, mind, and soul. And Father, I pray for that man or woman, boy or girl, who has turned work or school or sports or any other thing. Our hearts are idol factories, like John Calvin said. Turn these things into an idol. That you would free them from that. And that they would repent and turn and serve you 
and have no gods before you, that they would be most concerned with you, that they would just desire Jesus, and somebody else can have all the world. What is the profit of man to gain the whole wide world and forfeit his soul? And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never trusted Christ, this, uh, this, I mean, this idea that God delights in showering mercy on those who are undeserving. The truth is we are all undeserving. But he holds open his arms to receive into his love and his care and his forgiveness and eternal life anyone who would place their hope in him. If you've never done that or you have questions about what that looks like, what that means, please don't lose, don't don't leave this place today until you've spoken with someone about that. I'll hang around for a while. Others, elders in the room, security people you can talk to. Don't leave until you've talked.